turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Caesar and Christ, and we hope that you enjoy this broadcast. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com and listen to it in its entirety without interruption. Unfortunately, due to our time constraints, we are only able to bring you the first portion of this broadcast today, but we will complete it tomorrow. Caesar and Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, we are so grateful today for Jesus. We're just grateful. We're grateful we live at the end of time, which is the beginning of a new age. We're grateful for the hard times because they represent the end of hard times, eventually in the beginning of a new time that will never end with joy. And so, Father, in the journey, we're grateful for Jesus, your beautiful, magnificent, lovely Son, powerful and strong, who has been given to us for the journey. And may we never let go of him today, I pray. I pray in the midst of the pressures that we have in this world. May every person here know that Christ died for them, that he has suffered for them, he lives for them, and they're going to make it if they stick with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Every Christmas, the honest heart must choose between Caesar and Christ. That's right, between Caesar and Christ. And this was the choice offered the world on the first Christmas. No different than what we must choose today. The world or Jesus, Caesar and Christ. The Christmas story starts in the Gospel of Luke with the powerful presence of the Roman Emperor Augustus Caesar who taxed the whole world. Augustus Caesar was the great hero of the Roman world. I mean, he was larger than life. He was considered to be a god, no doubt about it. He had done what no other king in the history of the world had been able to accomplish. And so he was hailed as a son of a god. He claimed the title of princeps, which means the first citizen. In truth, he was a dictator and his rule was absolute. No one questioned the authority of Augustus Caesar. He took the mess of a destabilized Roman Empire that Julius Caesar had given him. And he unified the world under his power. He defeated his enemies decisively. And he changed the world. Augustus gave us what history calls the Pax Romana, the great Roman peace. For the first time in history, a powerful empire under the leadership of a shrewd king had unified the civilized world and defeated every single enemy of the empire. There was no way to bring peace without defeating every enemy. Augustus Caesar brought to the Roman world this kind of peace, which was his own kind of peace, built upon the victories of conquest. The long centuries of war had come to an end, and under Augustus Caesar you could travel the roads of the Roman Empire that joined the continuous continents together, and and civilization itself was united as you could travel in peace from Great Britain to northern Africa to the Danube River, which is in present-day Russia, He had unified the world. He was called the Prince of Peace. 
But one Roman philosopher said, Caesar may bring peace from war, but he cannot bring peace for the heart. There was this massive vacuum that existed in the days of this ancient Roman emperor. All of his conquests, all of the fusion of civilizations had not changed the feeling that unless God intervened, there was no hope for the human race. In this new world order, there was a price to be paid for peace and commerce. And the Gospel of Luke introduces the Christmas story with the economic challenge of higher taxes at Christmas time. Now, how many of you have felt that in your life this year? Higher taxes at Christmas time. Well, you're blessed. I just got finished doing mine. Higher taxes at Christmas time. I mean, that's what we find in Luke 2 1. The King James Version puts it plainly more directly than most translations. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All the world means all the people. No one was left out of this new world order that taxed everyone. The entire world was taxed for Caesar's sake. The expression to tire, to lay a burden on someone, it really comes from the expression to tax. To tax is to burden someone. We speak of a tax burden because the two words synchronize. When you are taxed, you are tired. When you are taxed, you have a burden that someone else lays on your back and you can't control it. It's something you have to comply with. There's no freedom in this world of taxes and there's no order without a tax burden. The devil's kingdom is not free at all. His kingdom is the kingdom of the world. It is a taxing kind of kingdom. And so Caesar was called Savior in the ancient Greek language. Soter. He was called Lord Kyrios in Greek. And the Roman people worshipped him. But he was really just a man who wanted to raise everyone's taxes. He wanted to control their lives. In the end, nothing more than a man. Augustus Caesar was not the true Prince of Peace. He was not the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. He was just another oppressor showing up on the scene of human history to take joy and life away. This action on Caesar's part had been predicted by the great prophet Daniel. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel eleven twenty-two. Now here we have a verse in Daniel 11 that clearly predicted the death of Christ on the cross. It's at the center of the king of the north, the king of the south vision, Daniel 11. And it says, And armies shall be utterly swept away before him. In the context, it's speaking of Tiberius Caesar, who followed Augustus Caesar. And they would be broken. And then it goes on to say, And the prince of the covenant also. If you're a student of Bible prophecy, you can put the cross sign right next to Daniel 11.22 because it is speaking of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Two verses before this verse... He describes the king who came before the king who was in power when the prince of the covenant was broken at the cross of Calvary. And the Bible is very clear. It describes the taxation of Augustus Caesar. Daniel eleven twenty, previous verse. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute. Some translations will say one who raises taxes through the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken neither in anger nor in battle. In the book of Daniel, the glorious land is Palestine because it's God's land. The Bible speaks of Mount Zion as the glorious holy mountain. 
The glorious land is that part of the world that God has brought his truth to. It represents his people. And that is the place that would be taxed in Daniel eleven twenty. So Luke is very open to Bible prophecy. He knows the prophet Daniel had predicted this. And when it happens, he records it in the New Testament. So we know how to connect the old and the new. Daniel predicted that Augustus Caesar would tax God's land, the glorious land. And the text is very clear. Within a few days, he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. So one would arise who would come to the glorious land. He would tax and oppress. He would die in a time of peace. And the Bible here describes the great Roman peace, the Pax Romana. Going back to Luke 2, verse 2, this was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. In the genealogy of Matthew and Luke, Joseph was a direct descendant of King David. The man who should have been king that first Christmas was Joseph. And yet we find him in the story as a carpenter being forced by a usurper king who gained control of the world to go to the place of his family heritage and to be enrolled to be taxed along with Mary. The Gospel of Luke, like the Gospel of Matthew, starts with a scandal. It is the scandal of the birth of Jesus. Notice verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. Here she is, betrothed to Joseph pregnant with a baby, going to the house of David, that's a scandal. Unless you understand the details as to what is transpiring, it looks awful at the very beginning. And so the gospel account, both in the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke, starts with a story that looks really raw and rough, and it is. So as they near the city of Bethlehem, Mary's birthing pains begin to take over the plot. They come to Bethlehem with the prospect of higher taxes without wealth and health insurance. This couple had not planned their hand wrong. They had behaved correctly, but everybody thought they hadn't. They had practiced self-control according to the law of Moses. And yet she was pregnant because God had made it happen. They had not shamed their parents, their family, and their God by breaking the betrothal covenant. No, they hadn't, but the stigma was still there. It looked like they had. It looked very bad for Mary and Joseph that first Christmas. Imagine the rough road that Joseph had as he had to carry the reputation of a family that God was putting together in a way that he couldn't manage on his own. He was just following providence down a hard road. So the man who should be king and his girlfriend showed up in the city of David to be taxed together. That is the scandal of the first Christmas. Mary and Joseph received the stigma that comes to every believer who accepts the scandalous, the scandalous reality that Christ is Lord and not Caesar. You see, it was hard, it was rough to be a believer. They were the first believers. And every believer who chooses Christ has a price to pay to become a believer. Sometimes we're hard on the innkeeper. How many of you have ever been hard on the innkeeper at Christmas? They always pick on the innkeeper. Am I right? I'm right. I've been hard on him. Because we think he had no reason other than a full house to turn the couple away. 
Well, a respectable innkeeper in Israel would not allow a man who is not married to his pregnant girlfriend to stay in the inn. Am I right? What would the children think? And what would it say to let them stay together in the inn? So Jesus was rejected that first Christmas for moral reasons. Perhaps. The coming of the lawgiver. Christ was the lawgiver. It looked like he was rejected because his coming was a violation of law. Just a strange kind of scandalous entry into the world. So let's not be too hard on the innkeeper this first Christmas. Mary and Joseph found themselves in Bethlehem as the victim of circumstances. And it wasn't the innkeeper's fault that she was pregnant. Luke 2, 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Good reasons for no place if you're just looking at the external factors. Higher taxes and no health care for Joseph and Mary. No place for unwed parents in the end. If you're not in the end, then you're outside the end. Is that pretty reasonable to assume? That's logical. Christ was born on the outside of the inside. The story of the birth of Jesus is archetypical of the challenge that faces men and women who have sinned against God and the family of God. We were all born on the wrong side of Eden's door. We were born on the outside. And whether we know it or not, that's where we come from unless someone takes us to the inside. Christ left Eden's door. He made the journey from God's great home to the outside of the house, which is the world in which we live. Christ was born into a family that was ripe for criticism and gossip, so there would be no excuse for any family that turns to God. He came to welcome the families that cannot find their way back to God. Christ identified with people who make mistakes and need to repent. So Jesus comes to the broken house at Christmas, the broken house of David, the house of the human race that it's broken. The house of David was a troubled house, ready for a Savior to redeem it. And the world was just as troubled that first Christmas. Suddenly the story is broken by the introduction of characters that would naturally have no part in the play. Luke 2, verse 8. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. It's no accident that Luke records that the shepherds were in that region. They were the shepherds of Bethlehem, not just any shepherd. They were the shepherds connected with the city of David. They were the ultimate outcasts of the troubled house of David. And they were nothing in the Roman world as such or the Jewish world. These people were at the bottom of the barrel of society. According to rabbinical law, the shepherds were unclean and banished from the temple services. I mean, they had a list of unclean individuals. And they were pretty awful folk. And right there with them... In their list, according to rabbinical records, shepherds were considered unclean. That means they would have been rejected in the temple and the participation of the Passover and the feasts of Israel because they were considered unclean. Imagine a line of work that makes you unclean so that you feel lost every day of your life. That's what it was like to be a shepherd. The very act of being a shepherd in the days of Christ the religious leaders taught that you somehow couldn't get close to God because you were unclean. At the time of Christ, the shepherds in Bethlehem held the special duty of raising the lambs for the Passover service in the spring. 
So we know what they were doing based on historical records. They were raising the little lambs that would grow up to be sheep that would be sacrificed at Passover for the sins of God's people to celebrate the exodus from Egypt and to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. And yet they were locked out of this because they were unclean. So the men who raised the sheep for Passover could never eat the feast of the Passover lamb as others did without it being a scandal. They were outcasts from the feast that fed the soul with the hope of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. The men who were acquainted with every manger in Bethlehem, the men who knew how to feed their sheep, they couldn't find heaven's hay. They couldn't find the bread. They couldn't have access to the lamb in the house of God. They were unclean. The shepherds of Bethlehem were hungry for the food that is found in the house of God. Bethlehem, Beit Lechem in Hebrew, means house of bread. They could not taste the feast of deliverance, the Passover feast. And the feast of unleavened bread with the rest of the sons of Israel without overcoming the stigma they could not overcome. And to make matters worse, they raised the sheep for the feast that everyone else enjoyed. And there's a direct connection between Mary and Joseph who could not stay in the inn and the outcast shepherds who could not stay in the city of God. They're all outsiders. That's what we find. Those who've been pushed out are the ones that heaven is reaching out to to gather in. So how does God reach the people who can never come home to God at Christmas time? How does God feed the shepherds who can never taste the Passover lamb for themselves? How does God place the morsel in the mouth of the men who cannot taste God in the fields of labor? In the Gospel of Luke, to reach the outcasts in the wilderness, Jesus becomes an outcast too. Christ went to the bottom of the barrel to find the unclean scrap that's trapped inside the barrel. Luke's statement, in that region there were shepherds, is full of meaning. That region. Heaven knew where they were at. Heaven had a GPS tracking system for people who had been pushed out away from God. Heaven knew how to find the lost. Heaven knew how to encourage those who couldn't find God. Heaven's GPS system found the shepherds that first Christmas. Heaven didn't have a faulty GPS system that first Christmas. Heaven was able to find those who needed encouragement. And friend, heaven can find you if you can't find heaven. Heaven tracks well. And so there they were. It zeroed in on them, the shepherds, and God sent the choir of heaven to invite them to the party in the open field. When you can't go to church, the church comes to you. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was born at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. If you really want to celebrate Christmas in the right season, around Thanksgiving, that's when Jesus was born. Did you know that? It's true. And it can be proved from the Gospel of Luke. He was born in the fall. At the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why John says in John 1, the Word became flesh and tabernacled in the Greek among us at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so these shepherds in the fall, as it moved toward the winter, were raising the sheep that would be used in the spring for the Passover, which was the celebration of freedom. When all Israel was commanded to worship at the feast in Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary were stuck in Bethlehem because they were pregnant and the shepherds were stuck in the fields because they were outcasts. And so Satan was trying to spoil the spiritual feast by making everyone go to their own town and be taxed instead of going to Jerusalem to worship God. Caesar's decree was Satan's attempt to take away the fun and life of worshiping God. 
So where do you feast and when you can't go to the Feast of Tabernacles? And where do you feast when you're shut out as the shepherds were? You know, where do you go when you're passed over for the Passover and the spring that follows? And where do you find food when you can't eat with the rest of the people in Jerusalem and worship God as a legitimate son or daughter of Abraham? So it's no accident that Bethlehem is the Hebrew name for the city of David. Beit Lechem, Bethlehem in Hebrew means the house of bread. When you can't go to Jerusalem, in the house of bread, heaven visits you. And God's miracle can be found in the fertile fields outside the house of bread. Jesus came to this world. He was born into the house of bread to feed all the people who can't come home to God on their own. He came for the homeless and he came for those who are lost inside the house. He came to feed people who can't find God in their own strength. He came to the outcasts who can never come to the temple unless the temple comes to them. He came to the house of bread at the Feast of Tabernacles to feed those who couldn't feast, who couldn't live, who couldn't find the tabernacle or tent of God in the cold of the night. He came for them. So full of meaning are the words. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Out in the field means that they were not in the house of God, not in the house of bread. They were outside of what is inside. They were hungry in the field for what is found only in the house of bread. Luke 2, 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, be not afraid for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall come to, what does the text say? Say it come to the people who know the truth. Does it say that? Does it say that? It does not say that. It says it will come to all the people. God's heart of love, God's gift in Jesus is not meant to be given only to, quote, the elect. Christ died for the whosoever of John 3.16. The gift of the Son of God is for that person that we would never think could be saved. The love of God reaches to the bottom of the barrel of human history to lift and elevate the soul to the highest heaven. He came for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The key word in this passage of the angels and the shepherds is the word them. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. The angels said to them, the shepherds are the focus of the GPS tracking system that guided heaven to them. They didn't find heaven that first Christmas. Heaven found them in the fields. They were afraid and the angels said to them, do not be afraid. Friend, fear is the main feeling that keeps people away from God. Fear. The angels said, do not be afraid. If you are hungry for God and you're afraid of God at the same time, the message for you is do not be afraid. If you are hungry for the Passover lamb, if you're hungry for the sacrifice, for heaven's hay, and you cannot feed yourself in the city of God because you are an outcast and unclean, the angel said, do not be afraid. If you are unclean and you hunger for the food that can fill the life, do not be afraid. Luke 2.10, the angel said to them, be not afraid for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day 
in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word good news is translated from the Greek word euangelion for gospel. The message of the gospel replaces fear with joy. The gospel is good news. The good news of the gospel is preached for the very first time to the shepherds. So what happened to the shepherds that first Christmas was prophetic. I mean, they were no longer shepherds. Think about this. Who do angels appear to in the Old Testament? Prophets. And the message of an angel to a messenger makes that person a prophet. So suddenly these insignificant shepherds are transformed and they stand on the plane of the ancient prophets. They have become God's special messengers. As we move from the era of the prophets to the era of the apostles, they stand between the two, the shepherds that will lead us to the great shepherd. And so they are no ordinary figures here in the drama of the Christmas story. Ever after, the gospel is only received by people who are humble enough to feel their need of God as these shepherds did. Heaven finds the heart, dear heart, that is poor and needy, which hungers after God. It never finds the heart that is self-sufficient and doesn't need Him. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You've been listening to a message entitled Caesar and Christ, but unfortunately that is all the time we have for today's message. We will complete it tomorrow here on the radio, and we hope that you join us. That's Caesar and Christ. If you'd like to download it, it is also available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. You can also use that same web address to help us out with the financial contribution. And thank you for doing that. That's reachingyourheart.com, where you can send your contribution to Reaching Hearts International, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Keep that address in mind. That is also the address for the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. And we hope to see you this Saturday. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, please also know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.